1: Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 170. Uh, Guys, if you're going to be in Oakland on Saturday, February 25th, I am going to moderate a Walking Dead panel at Image Expo. That's going to be with uh, Norman Reedus and Robert Kirkman and Steve Young. Uh, So so come to that if you're in Oakland. Or if you're not, listen, I'm not going to tell you what cities you can and can't travel to. Uh, So go to ImageComicExpo.com to get information about that. We're going to be appearing there. Also, we're going to be in Boulder doing the Nerdist Podcast Live on March 2nd, and then in Austin, Texas on March 3rd, so tons of other shows around the country. Go to Nerdist.com slash calendar for that. I'd also like to thank our returning sponsor of the Nerdist Podcast, Stamps.com. I don't love lines, and you probably don't love lines either, so why stand in them? You don't have to with Stamps.com. You can buy and print U.S. postage in your own house with your computer on your printer. It's quick and easy. Uh... Takes less than five minutes to get started. Any kind of letters or packages you want to send, just instantly you get it. And then they'll just come and pick it up from you. The the postman will just pick it up, and then you don't have to leave your house. The best reason ever to not put on pants, Stamps.com. So right now they have a special offer for Nerdist listeners. There's a no-risk trial, plus a $110 bonus offer, which includes a digital scale and $55 of free postage, but only if you enter the promo code NERDIST. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in NERDIST. That's Stamps.com, promo code NERDIST. All right, so this episode, uh, I was in New York recently shooting the hour uh, stand-up special for Comedy Central. Thank you so much if you came to that. That was an amazing experience. While I was there, I got to pop over to the SNL studios and uh, podcast Seth Meyers, who was awesome. Um, I, I can't even tell you what a great guy he was. Just super nice, very generous with his time. We actually did the podcast in the green room for SNL, and <laughs> so... Uh, sound checking and rehearsing the other side of the wall was uh, the band Slaybells. So they're they're the accidental musical guest uh, if you hear like guitars playing and then it's very kind of faint in the background. It sounds like it sounds like someone in your building is is playing music in a band and you don't know which apartment it is, like it it sounds like that. Uh, so thanks again to uh, Seth Myers and to uh, SNL and to Slaybells for <laughs> accidentally playing on the podcast very faintly in the background all right podcast ho
2: now entering nerdist.com
1: I think I, I think it actually it sounds. I got it, but it sounds cool. Okay. It just it sounds like. So it'll stop eventually in like 30 minutes. <laughs> Should we pound on the wall? You goddamn kids, and you came it down out of there. with grown-ups.
0: You said it's sleigh bells. It's sleigh bells, yeah. That's exciting. They're definitely that's just like a roadie working it right now. Because this is earlier than Yeah, this is earlier
1: than that. Oh so basically this is just guitar center right now or saying- Oh yeah. This <laughs> isn't. Don't don't try to get your listeners to think they're hearing. <laughs> this guy's gonna break in a stairway in a second. Sometimes and then Blackbird. Down and- yeah. Oh
0: Carmen did last week they were there for their real sound check. Oh yeah? No well no real sleigh bells will show up. This is just oh, a little yeah, earlier.
1: Yeah. Somebody's yeah. front. Uh Anyway, so what you're hearing in the background is uh, the, the Sleigh Bells roadies on tour, I think. But Seth, thank you for coming down and being here in your green room on the old podcast room. Yeah. There we go. Uh, we have I think we met briefly, I came to the season finale last year. Okay, yeah. Which was phenomenal. Yeah, that was about as good as Such the Such a great finale. show. I think that's probably the best one in
0: my ten season finales. Really? Yeah. Uh, but that was great. That was Timberlake, right? It was Justin Timberlake. I'm just remembering that it was a good season. It now was, I'm trying to
1: re-piece together. It was Justin Timberlake and Lady Gaga. Yeah. And I I still am trying to understand Lady Gagaism. I'm ism I really am. I'm trying to be open-minded about it. Right. Um,
0: <laughs> but I will say it's very easy. I think we... So delight in her because of what she's done when she's been on the show. because She's such a showman, right? Like there's such an incredible live element to her, which is what makes our best musical guests, yeah, sort of special. Is ones who take advantage of the fact that there's this live
1: element. Well, because then there, there was this after party, this giant after party in the Rockefeller Center, mm-hmm. which I always feel bad about. what well, the one time I've gone, because I left at three o'clock in the morning and it was still thumping, and I was looking around at buildings going, like, don't. People live around here. Yeah, it? I don't know. It, like uh, the, the weird thing is, I'm like,
0: do people live there? Are they all office buildings? I feel bad because you can just walk by and look down at the party. Yeah. So it's like a real velvet rope nightclub, but like one that has like um, glass walls. Yes. So people can see the party they're not invited to. And, and that's true. That's what. But I then feel that's
1: kind of cool at the same time. Oh, if well, you... I mean, I l- if you're on the right side of it. <laughs> It's super cool. <laughs> I think Lady Gaga, quote unquote, DJ'd. I don't know. She did. Yeah, Lady Gaga
0: DJ'd and um, you. W- I would have been more excited. I think everybody would have been more excited if she'd sung. Sung but I don't think that was the... She took over the DJ thing and it became like you realize how good a DJ is at keeping a dance party going. Right. Because it's not... it kind of slowed down when
1: Lady Gaga got DJ DJing is one of those things like acting teacher where it's like people just go like, oh yeah, I'll just do that. Right. Like, well, there is a certain skill. Oh, absolutely. Because it looks like you can do it. <laughs> but it's not. Right. And, and especially... Not, I mean, like... You know in the in the old days when we were younger. Seth, the DJ had to carry around turntables and just, like right. crates of records, and now it's at just... the
0: very least they were succeeding because they had like given up the trunk of their car. Exactly, the lifestyle. Exactly, yeah. and you
1: could really and and they they only had access to the music that
0: they brought. But there was even like, when Gaga was uh, DJing. Like there were even like long gaps between like you felt like she was like thumbing through the iPod to get to the next song <laughs> there wasn't even like the transition software or and, like the next song queued up and it
1: wasn't anything that was surprising where you were like oh my yeah. god is she playing Argent like it wasn't it wasn't anything crazy it was like yeah that's about what you'd think you know sort of generic dancey yeah You know,
0: it's funny like celebrity DJing is like I won celebrity poker once like yeah. when that was a show and people always are like you must be so good at poker I'm like when celebrities in front of it That is, it becomes, it means worse. I've won Celebrity Jeopardy in the 90s, and it was the people were like, wow, and I'm like, no, it was just, you know, right." (laughs) roses are blank. (laughs) What is blue? But see, some people, see, even like Celebrity Jeopardy, I'd be too intimidated to do, I think.
1: It was crazy. I, uh, not to brag,
0: I beat up Patrick Duffy. Great. See, that's a guy who looks like there's some intelligence behind him. <laughs> he's body. actually a super smart guy. I beat out uh, Dave Navarro was the last. Oh guy. my god, we just guy, had him down. on Talking Dead. Yeah,
1: it was really fun. Dave Navarro is really he's a nice guy, super nice guy. Yeah, I really like I like meeting people that you know it's like the, the people just have this image like oh my god he must be
0: fucking crazy like
1: no, he's a nice guy.
0: He's You're a like, super nice guy. This
1: is like a regular
0: dude. Yeah, it's funny how they say like in poker people have tells. I felt like when I was playing poker with Dave Navarro, he had a million tells that told me he was cooler than I was. <laughs> like, everything, I just kept looking at him. I couldn't get to any poker tells because I was like, God, this guy is so much cooler than
1: I am. <laughs> Oh, fuck. What? <laughs> oh, uh, nothing. I, um, oh, shit, I'm no good at this. I can't play poker whenever, I'm, I'm bad at dude things, and mm-hmm. so when someone says, like, oh, we're having a poker night, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it was funny. It was such a, um, I would say, like, a 24-month phenomenon here in New York where, like, Everybody at SNL played. People, we would have chips in our office. We'd play on Thursday
1: nights, and then it just went away. I never would have saw. I never would have seen the uh, the poker craze coming if I had been a television executive. Right. And someone said, "We want to put professional poker players." I'd be like, "No, but what's your real pitch?" Like, oh, I it's never not... would have thought that was a thing that you could watch. And then, it... well, I love how it was uh, basically that
0: invention of that lipstick camera that shows <laughs> the cards. Like, right. the, obviously, no one would watch poker if you couldn't see what cards people had. Right. And then somebody was finally like, What if we put a tiny camera there? Oh and then it's like oh, crack
1: the code. Yeah. So it's not just looking at the uh, the Filipino guy with the mullet and the crazy reflective right. shades and the weird cowboy snake hat. You're well you'll
0: watch that guy if you know what cards he has. <laughs> if you true. don't know what cards he has, then you're just trying to figure out why you put those
1: clothes on. But even watching I'm still like I don't he's got two I don't understand Texas Hole. Okay, so he's got two aces, right. but then there's a couple, I don't I've know. I've never what's been happening. able to watch it I've never been able to, to watch it but it goes to show you that there's people will watch almost anything. Well, and you think I, I mean as long as because you work in this business a long time too, but every time you think like, "Oh, I really know what people want to watch." Uh. And then stuff you love gets canceled and then stuff that you're like, "That shit?" and it's cute phenomenon. The funny
0: thing though about that shit is like I think that and then anytime like I accidentally watch it, you see you like, "I'm not I would not have, I'm not a reality fan at all." Right. But like if you accidentally stumble into like watching The Bachelor, you're like, oh, I, this is incredibly riveting. <laughs> like, I'm not, like, this is well-produced. I mean, I don't consider it high-minded or anything, but, like, you realize, like, certain people come home from work and want to just escape. And right. it's, it's escapism done incredibly well. Right. So I do find that, like, I mean, there, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of awful things on television, but I am always surprised at how a lot of things that I would categorize as, like, hard to watch, you go, oh no,
1: the, the why they're on TV is they're so easy to watch. Right. They just require very little work. Exactly. So it's, yeah. it's. I guess it's not... I guess it's... I mean, I don't like it, but when a show like Arrested Development gets cancelled, it's like, oh yeah, because you have to pay attention to the jokes. Oh, yeah. And you have to watch the through line and you have to see where how everything's going to tie together and that requires focus. You burned calories watching Arrested <laughs> Development. Like, Arrested <laughs> Development was like... It was they, a
0: good ab workout. Yeah, you felt like proud of yourself the way you do when you, like, finish a good book. Right. A show because you just, you were so, I mean, it wasn't just that it was funny, but you were so appreciative of the craftsmanship. But, yeah, you have to have a different kind of mindset to enjoy a show like
1: yeah, that. Yeah, it just hurt my heart a little bit trying to explain to my dad why it was funny that David Cross wanted to paint himself blue. Right. Like, because, oh, I'm not going to win
0: this. Well, we, you know, even here, sometimes we'll, you know, seven comedy writers will be in a room arguing about why something is funny. And there's that point where you go, if we're arguing about it this much, it might not be. That's you know, an interesting. Like, that's an interesting. You know, point. like at some point yeah. you're like, well, how much? Like, we're not going to be able to stand out before the sketch and explain to the audience exactly what
1: we're doing for them. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes if I'm if I'm pitching a joke to someone and they even take a second to be like, I don't understand, I go, if you don't get it, then the majority of people watching who are maybe right. even a little less comedy savvy, yeah. like to other comedy writers. That even if it just takes them a second to kind of go, wait, what? Like, then it's oh, the moment is gone. Right. The moment is absolutely gone. Well, I remember like the Lonely
0: Island guys. I remember once being like, most of our friends think this is great. I'm like, if even one of your friends <laughs> doesn't think it's great, well, there's a huge problem because like you are—that's an incredibly narrow tranche. Yes. Of like comedy
1: fans. Yeah, but but fortunately, you know, I mean, th- these comedy fans used to be separated Mm -hmm. (laughs) geographically and also communication-wise, but now, fortunately, enough of them can clump together with the Internet that now we can have, you know... Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's the best thing about our show is that you can have all these different
0: pieces that, you know, I think different people can clump to and be like, that was my favorite thing, this was my favorite thing, so... I
1: did not watch the... uh, I didn't watch the Lana Del Rey performance, mainly because... Some people said it was so un- like I didn't see it. I don't know what it was, but people right. were like it was really uncomfortable. As a performer, I can't I cannot watch uncomfortable performances yes. because it I'm very empathetic in that way, and I just go I It just it skews me on a really on a really deep. Oh, level. I think it's the worst thing. To, the <laughs> hardest thing to watch is yes, people being uncomfortable. Absolutely, but I did watch the way that
0: you guys dealt with it. Yeah, and I thought that was really fun. Like, it was. I mean, for us, I mean, first of all, you know, I can't stress enough how little as far as a writing staff or cast, we're concerned with how the music is going. Right. Like, we're barely paying attention, uh, you know, because obviously we're scrambling to put together the, the comedy portion of the show. With that said, like, you know, I, we were shocked at the backlash towards her. Like, again, we've had all different kinds of performers on the show, and um, for her to have, like, what seemed like the most intense vitriolic reaction was like hard to kind of wrap our heads around. Like, I mean, she looked like ethereal and you know, spooky in a way that seemed (laughs) like what she was aiming for. And she definitely, you know, I thought you know, might have seemed a little uh, nervous, but that was only sort of going back and looking. But it seems weird that people would be so sort of I don't know, angry about nervousness uh, as opposed to sympathetic. Again, that's all fine. The the strangest thing to me was like she wore the same outfit both times. Again, that was the thing. We were like, (laughs) wow, I can't remember the last time uh, like sort of, uh, certainly anyone that would be categorized as like a diva songstress yeah. had not taken the opportunity to give us two looks <laughs> um, but I like her songs and again I you know it's a variety show and I so love uh, the variety of the music yeah and I love that there are people that are not for everyone and, again, I we were so fascinated and delighted by any time people,
1: you know, either love or hate someone. I think it, uh, I'm just going to turn up the recording level just in case. Because I think Sleigh Bells might actually be rehearsing that. That's actually that, man. Um, but uh, I think what happens is, just the way things spiral out of control, a handful of people on Twitter say something. Right. And then just the, the collection of that people are enough to inspire, like... Like Huffington Post or so, someone else sure. to pick it up and go, oh, this must this is a thing, right? And then they make it a thing, and then everyone else jumps on board and they're like, oh yeah, I guess that's a thing. And yeah. then they all start weighing in on it, and all of a sudden it's a phenomenon where absolutely. And I look, I you know have nothing but empathy
0: for the content generators of this world, right. being one myself. Oh, yeah. So I can see how uh, it became a thing. Again, like, you know, whether it's fair or not, a thing became interesting to talk about. Yeah. Um, and people are entitled to their opinions, and I'm always happy. You know, look, when when Twitter explodes with anything on our show, positive or negative, it at least reflects
1: the fact that people are watching the show. So. It didn't seem to hurt her career in any way. Yeah. Like, it, yeah, she sold a bunch of albums, although I went to... I didn't I not really heard of her before I mean she had a song called Video Games. Right. Um, you have Google alerts for anyone who would sing a song about you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, there's another one. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, this isn't just a sketch group yeah. in uh, yeah. in Ottawa. <laughs> this is actually someone. A beautiful me- woman. This is like your computer blew up. What's happening? <laughs> Although I did I did listen. I was like I didn't read the lyrics of the song, and it just it just looked like someone had a rhyming dictionary. Like, oh look, tar rhymes with car, and that rhymes with bar. Yeah. But whatever, it's fine. Like it's her music doesn't have to be for me, and she might be a totally nice person. But I did. I looked at her Twitter profile, and it just, here's here's my theory, and it totally okay. may not be right on, but so her Twitter profile says, everything I want, I have. Money, notoriety, and rivieras. I even think I found God in the flashbulbs of your pretty cameras. So when I first saw that, I was like, right, what the fuck? Come on. What yeah. the fuck? What right. are you doing? And then I had this weird sort of epiphany, like, wait a minute. She's like the comedian from Watchmen. You can't, she is, she is a, she's perfect. She's a, like a satirical reflection of the true nature of contemporary society. Like this is what everyone, this is what America really wants. I just want to be famous and I see God in paparazzi and I just want money and fame. And I, and I feel like that's, that makes sense to me. Well, it's funny because, I mean, I,
0: I will admit that I have not spent a lot of time trying to break down Lana Del Rey, but I will say that there was seem well, to be. we an,
1: spent like a half hour.
0: Well, no, I'm telling you, I'm about to give you a solid half hour myself. Okay. It's mostly <laughs> I've just been busy. It's not like I find it a waste of time. I, you know, if she is a construction, which I feel like people have blamed her for as well, like a lot of people are constructions. Oh, well, and without like a doubt. if you do, if you say you're a comedian and you do a construction, people <laughs> say you're a genius. Right. But if you do it in. You know, pop culture, or, you know, if you do it in singing or movies, like, all of a sudden there's this real, you know, is this person a phony? But then the other thing is, like, you know, if what she says there in her Twitter profile about finding God, like, that seems like that would be her being honest. Mm -hmm. And then the anger is that people don't like what she's being honest about. So, like, people say they want honesty. Right, unless unless their honesty is different than your honesty, and then right. you're upset about that too, it's an impossible situation. And I will say, like, there's plenty of people in popular music uh, that have uh, high opinions of themselves. <laughs> Wait, what? I mean, what? Like, yeah, I mean, like, by the way, you kind of have to to go out there. Like,
1: it is a pretty obnoxious arrogant thing to be like what I have to say is important enough I mean even as comedians absolutely even as comedians absolutely to get up in front of a room full of strangers and be like hey everyone look at me right here's a bunch of things I want to point out uh-huh. uh huh it, uh it, it is pretty obnoxious yeah you're right though It's uh, and again I, rock stars don't have that comedian's move
0: of like walking out before their first song and being like I know you're wondering where did I buy this outfit <laughs> you know like they don't get that <laughs> they have to own it more than comedians can they don't get to like deconstruct it right um and uh yeah, it, it, it's it. great. Like, by the way, you're right. Like, people, of course, in the end, on uh, on all culture and politics and everything, get to they eventually get to vote right. on whether or not somebody's going to have a long career or a short career. So if you just have a little patience, like, it'll all bear out.
1: Oh, Guns N' Roses was right. Yeah. <laughs> Finally.
0: <laughs> Finally. I can't wait. You, back, you backed me into a quote about Guns N' Roses. I'm so sorry. I did. This was my
1: plan. I'm uh, going to paint you into that Guns N' Roses corner.
0: I want to go back... An ADR me saying like, as Guns N' Roses, so (laughs)
1: definitely pointed out. And then you break into it like with sleigh bells. Yeah. I've been walking the streets (laughs) at night. But I I think uh, I think the other thing that people got so upset about is that she, with with relatively no um, notoriety or whatever, like was playing on SNL and just got famous. Right. Almost, I think, to most people, seemingly overnight. Right. And people are. Jealous and distrustful of that. You're like, wait, who the fuck is that? Absolutely. Who's this new person you're trying right. to tell me? I am like, fuck you, system, you know? Yep. So I think there's a little bit of that background. That I as well. totally
0: understand. Um and, and I mean I I'm not gonna, you know, I think we're you and I are probably about the same age. And yep. so we've had careers where I'm sure if we sat down we could come up with a list of like ten people in our field that we've had those feelings about. <laughs> like that's a very human reaction to of things. Course, and yeah. I don't Uh, deny people that the right to have that but you know again we also live in a culture where people are you know everything happens faster than it ever did before yeah and um, which is
1: good which means everyone forgets
0: things faster than they did before absolutely that's the thing I mean like you know if anybody's worried about anyone's uh, meteoric rise they just have to like sit back and remember that like the fall is just as as fast if not faster yeah and like if anything I I do feel like we should I mean, trying to be a little kinder about it all. Um, but I get it. I get that people think it should all be, like, only the hardest working people succeed. But it does start, like, sounding a little bit like, you know, I think we all sound a little bit like old fogies when we go, in the old days, no one was a flash in the pan. And Which like, is well, so not
1: man. true, yeah. I not. mean, like, the reason that you, the reason it's easy to say, like, oh, I can't name anyone who was a flash in the pan. Like, yeah, because they were flashes in the pan and you right. don't remember them. Sure. I mean, we, you know, the... I used to talk to people in the you know, when I was in college I would to talk to people in the music department and be like, Yeah, there were hacks in Mozart's day. It's just those people in Vienna just disappeared. Right. Like, that's right. why you don't know who was writing like the hacky Right. You know And again, and also, you know, the other the
0: other side of the coin is throughout history there have been talented people that haven't gotten their time in the sun. Right. Like that has happened. Because this is not um this is not the most
1: fair uh, the profession. It's not, and it almost seems like there's a certain amount of, especially today, like a certain amount of, ugh, like marketing savvy or something that you need to possess, that it's more right. than just, you know, it's more than just, oh, that guy is the funniest comic in the room. That doesn't always right. mean any, that he's going to pop.
0: Absolutely, and look, there's a reason that marketing has become a, you know, lucrative business, is because it's obviously an effective tool. And yeah. I get that, I mean, again, like we... I think all our frustration with that comes down to the fact that we are constantly reminded how flawed we are as humans that we fall for things that we're ashamed of later and we want to be a place that we're like you know the great thing about humanity we rewarded the best people and we didn't let any assholes
2: through
1: (laughs) so Uh, I thought you did an amazing job at the uh, the, the press uh, the the, the correspondence oh thank you oh my god I can't I mean, even just watching that, even though I didn't, even though I don't know you, I still like, I got nervous for you. Like, oh my God, you're gonna get him in the fucking president right there and all these people. And, uh, you know, like, uh, the fun cutaways of the audience are just like Trump. Just sit, just sitting all... It's green. great. I was very... One of the things
0: that I was very happy about is you don't really see the audience particularly well from where you are. Oh, you don't? Okay, I mean, good. you can, but there's so many. It's like the sea of people. Yeah. And it's not even like um, if you performed at like an award show where there's like rows of people. It's right. like a mess of tables and some people's backs and shoulders and weird angles. So it all kind of like blends together. Yeah. Um, and again, like, I've done enough of those things uh, where you learn not to try to, like, look for particular, not, like, try to find expressions.
1: Right. Oh, it's just, they would cut to the audience. And, it, and honestly, because it's in a hotel, like, yeah. like multi-use room. Right. And just, like, everyone there is 110 years old. And it just sort of yeah. looks like, oh, so they dressed up, uh, it's a retirement home, and they've come in for entertainment. Uh, but you did an amazing job. And you you wrote, uh, I think, what was one of my favorite jokes of last year, which was you said C-SPAN was, I think it was like one unpaid electric bill away from being a radio station. It's like fucking amazing. It
0: was great. I had a, you know, we I got lucky that we had three weeks off from SNL before it, and I brought in, you know, a bunch of really funny guys I trusted. Um, You know, guys like John Mulaney, um, Neil Brennan, Alex Bayes, Mike Shoemaker, who were guys that, you know, I just trusted so much, and we just sat down and kind of put together that 20 minutes. But that was a really one of the most fun days. Was just that sense of like, because if you look back through the history of uh, the correspondence Dinners, like pretty much C-SPAN has never come away unscathed, like throughout right. the years. So it was like we have to come up with like five C-SPAN jokes that have never been told before. It's
1: it's the most bizarre <clears throat> it's the most bizarre I think a uh, performance environment because essentially you're sort of encouraged to roast people, right? But at the same time. Everyone's assholes are really tight about like, oh, like, mm-hmm. oh, you just said that about the guy. You know, it's not it's not like watching the roast like a roast on Comedy Central. Where everyone's like ah, fuck everyone. Right. It's really you're taking shots of people that still make people uncomfortable. Like oh, he's that guy sitting right there, and it's the president or it's, yeah. yeah, it was
0: funny. You know, there was a there's a guy. Um a couple guys who write for Jimmy Fallon um, Eric Legend and Jeremy Bronson and Jeremy Bronson used to work in DC and he was really good at saying like you know like it's really the press likes when you make jokes about them Mm -hmm. because they like the you know I think they want whereas you know you can make fun of politicians we do that here you know week in and week out but the fun was, like, being specific to different news organizations. Yeah. And, but it is this really delicate thing of, like, you're constantly buying goodwill with a joke that you're going to spend later. Like, right. Uh, and, of course, the trickiest thing is you, you know, um, Robert Smigel, who wrote on Conan's when Conan did it back in the late 90s, said, like, the crazy thing is if you lose the president, you lose the room. <laughs> yes. Because they're all, like, as interesting as you may be to watch, they're watching the president watch you. Yeah. And you go, oh, yeah, that's what I would be doing, and uh fortunately for me, you know obviously you you do the correspondence dinner, um, you know you answer when called, but
1: uh obama uh, President Obama has a pretty good sense of humor so he would. did he did seem like a good audience member like he did and i I did feel like that he understood the nature of what it was supposed to be
0: absolutely, and he's uh you know his act was great as well like he was i mean i I remember my biggest fear of being thinking that I had to follow the president. Right. He was then, like, doing great in the room. <laughs> uh, but it was, uh, yeah, he was a good sport. And, you know, we had uh, jokes about him that, I mean, I think the my favorite joke in, in it was saying that he would, uh, the candidate he would be in real trouble against would be Obama in 2008. <laughs> right, right. Because, like, he would kill him in the election. <laughs> uh, but that was a joke that he kind of went along with, and that was probably the one we... You know, probably that had the most honesty behind it, because again, like, the candidate that hasn't been president yet
1: is always more likable than the candidate who has. Exactly. And did you have to clear any of the
0: jokes with anyone? You know, we didn't. And it's pretty great, because you don't actually get hired by the White House, you get hired by the Correspondents Association, and so, you know, there's a real freedom of the press to it.
1: Oh, nice.
0: Yeah, and so they never asked for it, and in fact, C-SPAN wanted um, my script I think so that they could find and cut to people in the audience oh, okay. um, but I didn't want that because I didn't want uh, my act to be judged on the reactions of the people I was telling the jokes about Right. what worked uh, and the reason the only reason they sort of had the camera on Trump is one I think you know he was probably the most fascinating person in the room but also Obama had told a lot of Trump jokes so <laughs> they had a they had the Trump camera ready to go but I never expected that part of it to be such a big part of it afterwards like as I walked off stage, I got a bunch of texts from people being like, "Try to stay away from Donald Trump. He seems pretty. <laughs> he seems pretty charged up. A <laughs> more um, charged down, I should say. He looked maybe <laughs> like his batteries were
1: low." This is such a weird, such a weird time in our culture where like. Like a crazy billionaire is a public figure in that way. Like, what happened? What happened to the shut-in billionaires of you know? It, well, the crazy, the thing, robber barons.
0: Absolutely. Like, I mean, they're still you know. By the way, those shut-in billionaires are still doing a great. They're job. They're still doing good. You okay, just good. don't know. Yeah. You just don't know them because right. they're shut-in billionaires, and they they're actually getting stuff done. But um, he uh, it's the crazy thing to me is is that he expects that he will be taken seriously. Like that it's, expectation is is beyond. It's the most uh, of all the audacious things he does. That is the most audacious. Every day he looks in the mirror and goes, "Yep, I'm going out." Absolutely, looking like this. Do you follow him on Twitter? No. It's fascinating due to he. I would say fifty percent of his tweets he cannot get in. Uh, 140 characters (laughs) so they all have like the continued like he's so he won't even like he will use Twitter but he will not play by Twitter's rules I'm a bad irony follower
1: like I I will follow someone for a couple days like oh this is going to be great I'm like ugh no it's true
0: it's like not even like I don't think I don't follow any pop culture people ironically but I do follow political people like at some point I found Twitter good because like I do follow like opposite opinion news sources from me that's smart, yeah. Yeah, because like sometimes you do want to hear like you know again like there are excellent writers who have a completely different opinion mm-hmm. than I, and it's better. I find I'm better informed if I at least read their case than I hear somebody scream it on a news program, right? And then I guess Donald Trump at this point I'm following ironically.
1: Well, I was talking to your P- uh, to your PR uh, lady Lauren before we were talking about Trump, and I was talking about the Trump Soho, yeah, which is a nice hotel. And then sort of accidentally coined the term Trumpulent to mean, like, because we t- I was trying to p- I was trying to pinpoint, like, it was nice, but why it seemed awkward to me. Right. And what I realized was, a friend of mine was staying there, and I went and saw the lobby, and what I realized was, there's something about the nature of Trump and everything that he's involved with that where you look at everything and it's just screaming to tell you how much money it costs right as opposed to just like being nice and you're like oh yeah that uh, that crystal chandelier that's expensive <laughs> the other thing is it can't look as nice as he's told you it
0: looks <laughs> like he is the opposite of me and I think the opposite of most comedians like is the, the comedians, anti-ass. no comedian is like. Like before, I show you a sketch. If I was like showing you a sketch, I wouldn't be like, "This is the best sketch I've ever written." Right. There's a joke every page. <laughs> You're gonna laugh so hard. Here is the sketch. I look forward to your feedback. But let me remind you, like you would never do. They'd be like, "Hey, here's this thing. I'm not sure." Like it's so counter. He's so counter to a, a a comedian's outlook, which is like, I don't know. Yeah, he's he's made from stuff that we were not. No, made, and by the way, from. that confidence, like what I wouldn't give for it.
1: Like, but I don't know because I think there's a certain amount of. I think there's a certain amount of Ignorance, too. I mean, just our, well, or our lack of awareness. It's red maybe. pill,
0: blue pill. Like right. it's sort of like, would you take? I mean, that confidence. Like you're saying, if you had that confidence, like you would be giving away all your self doubt.
1: I think what you're saying is Donald Trump is the Matrix. <laughs> I think, think that's what I
0: you're think saying. He is. Yeah, he is the Matrix. He might be the Matrix. He is
1: actually, he is actually the Matrix. Wow. I uh, feel like you and I are going to just sit in silence for the next ten minutes, <laughs> <laughs> just thinking about <laughs> trip Trump out on Trump. that. Yeah. Oh, every time you get deja vu, that means there was a glitch in Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, How long did you start doing stand-up?
0: No, I started uh, uh, doing improv comedy. I did that in college. You were at I.O.? Yeah. Okay, yeah, you did improv. So I went to Northwestern, I Uh did it there, and then I did Improv Olympic, or I.O. now, in Chicago. And then I went out to Amsterdam and worked for this theater company called Boom Chicago. Oh, really? Yeah. Which was Chicago guys who started like a second city theater in Amsterdam, so style theater. Was it? Did, did you get a lot of? Uh,
1: did you get a lot of Dutch folks? Or was we it did? Tourists it or? was
0: about fifty percent Dutch. I mean, I went out there April '97, and that was a time where it was probably about sixty percent tourists, forty percent Dutch. Yeah. But by the time I left, I would say it had flipped. And it just is a place for. I mean, there's not a lot of like. Uh, there's more now, but there's not. There wasn't a huge like Dutch comedy scene and. Amsterdam particularly is a place that is pretty embraces American culture I mean like it's not like American I mean if you go to a, a movie theater in Amsterdam it's all American movies so. yeah it's funny because
1: I think most people assume like oh you know um, uh, we left England and came straight to America right. to find the New World like no actually they went to Holland like like so, so much of what we have is actually kind of Dutch culture as right. well. That I've always kind of wanted to go just to see if I go there and go, ah, my roots. Well, the greatest thing about like living in the West Village is like you, you sort of uh, you're like,
0: oh, these streets, this is definitely Dutch people right. laid these streets out because like it's so like a Dutch neighborhood L- and-
1: Streets lined with koken. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thick Dutch. You've never been it, man? No, wow. no, yeah. no, no. Because I'm I'm foolish enough to think like, man, I don't I don't. I don't know why I've I've reasoned this in my head. I'm like, well, I don't smoke pot. Why should I go to Amsterdam? I'm like, well, because there's nice architecture and other things. Oh, it's there a great. Too. I mean, it's a great
0: European city. And I kind of like got smoking pot out of my system when I was there. Like, I real that like going there was where I realized that's not what I prefer. <laughs> right. Um, but it's like I go back all the time. It's so beautiful. I
1: should go. It's not that
0: far, like from New York. What is it like? Six hours? Five hours? Yeah, five and a half. Six. Well, no, it's like six and a half. But it is like it's because it's such. I mean, it's like you realize when you want to go to Europe, like if you want to do the, the like quick trip, it's kind of like Paris, London, or Amsterdam are the ones that there's a lot of flights and you know you mm-hmm. go direct and it's not bad.
1: Did you feel? Did you find that performing in another culture in another country? How do you feel like that sort of influenced your comedy? I mean, like, is there probably certain things you can't get away, like, American tricks you can't get away with on stage if you're performing for, you know?
0: Well, I do find that, like, you know, if you are, you know, you're an improv theater in Chicago and you're surrounded by friends and you all sort of absorb and share the same pop culture and you talk about the same kind of shows and so does the audience. And there is, you know, you can, I, with that said, like, I think pop culture references are not in by the heart of themselves like a bad move mm-hmm. like I think they're a good move but they can become a crutch oh, yeah. like there is a you know you can be on stage and you can sort of like drop mm-hmm. you know A-team references <laughs> and you know and sort of get by it was nice to be in a place where you sort of became aware mm-hmm. by the way there were other performers who would like come out to Amsterdam and just learn the Dutch pop culture references and like switch right. trade out crutches Yeah. but it was fun that like you know you would go on stage at night and there would be you know um you know, there'd be a group of guys from England, and there would be a business, you know, group from from Amsterdam, and there would be some American tourists and some New Zealand tourists, and and there was just like it was a fun way to like go like, all right, what's kind of universally funny? Mm-hmm. And did you say it was sketch or improv? It was both. It was both. It was kind of like a sketch
1: improv format. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It was great. I don't. It because you, when did you start doing stand up then?
0: Um, I so well, I left there, and then with a girl I met over there, this girl Jill Benjamin, we started doing a two person show back in Chicago. That was okay. like a sketch improv show that got me hired here. And then, um, you know, sort of like my second or third year, we were trying to book that show at colleges, and it just turned out like colleges didn't want, um, it's just a hard thing to sell. Like, we got a two-person sketch improv show. They kind of want say it's stand-ups. <laughs> right. And I had done a, I'd done one stand-up show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2000. Okay. So I'd done a little stand-up there. And, um, yeah, I just kind of, like, had a chance to open for some people at college shows and, and just started, like... I mean, I, I knew... I'd been on stage a lot. I felt like I could write pretty well, so I just tried to start getting up. And then... Um, but I kind of built stand-up around doing college shows at first and then just okay. sort of, kind of recently started doing
1: ticketed shows places. How do you, first of all, where the fuck do you find time to write stand-up? Is it just does the stuff bleed out of things that don't make it into yeah, weekend you know, update? Or it's not even that.
0: It's like you, you know, like because you have to generate so much content
1: here, often
0: you'll generate things that don't fit into a sketch format. Mm-hmm. They don't fit into a weekend update joke. Um, but you go, oh, I think You know, I think that's a thing I could talk about on stage and explain it. It's like what we were talking about earlier. Like, sometimes when you are talking to your people, like, no, the reason this sketch is funny... Right. And you go, oh, but the problem is you can't be out there with that sketch explaining it. Well, in stand-up, you basically are explaining it. Right. right? So you can take as much or as little time as you want. And the other thing, you know, for stand-up is it's it's a far more... um, a personal endeavor than sketch writing or doing Weekend Update. Like, you know, that's where you can get up and
1: sort of talk about the life you're living and the feelings you're having and your personal outlook right. on things. Um, when you, it, how much of your act, I mean, like, when people come see you, do they expect you to do Weekend Update?
0: It's weird. You realize how people don't know what to expect because there's no, like, I haven't done a special. Right. Um, I think they expect politics, which there is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but it is, you know, I realize that most of the, Joke telling people know me for is you know I would say large, eighty percent of it is the White House Correspondents' Dinner and, right. and to some small degree stuff like the ESPYS, mm-hmm. um, which I've done a couple times. But, um, you know, the nice thing is I do feel like people are at least curious, and if you can sort of win them over in the first ten minutes, they'll
1: yeah hang around for the rest of it. Yeah, I mean it's it's I think you definitely you know it's like the like Seinfeld say like you 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 kind of get the you get the fame card for like five minutes and then people yeah. are like all right well maybe, I it better
0: be funny because uh, it was you know it was really nice to do colleges which is of course a different kind of show like college kids are pretty enthusiastic and they're happy to see people they know from TV yeah with that so I think that five minutes is like ten minutes in college It'll sure. you give it twice time. Sure. but uh, Jerry Seinfeld was actually here we did something we did a really on the show and I was talking to him about how I was I wasn't sure if I should start doing ticketed shows yet mm-hmm. and he pointed something out he's like Here's the thing. The audience will be people that will buy a ticket for Seth Meyers. There will be a... They will be taking a step to tell you they're at least on the lot. Right. Um, Because he was like, it's not like a randomly selected group of people that half don't know who you are. Right. Or anything like that. And so you... And that's what I found is, you know, obviously there's a tone to what I feel like I do in Weekend Update that um, is the same... I mean, obviously the same guy just Mm -hmm. telling different kinds of jokes. Yeah.
1: Well, and they also... I mean... You know, again, people coming out to see you on purpose is such a different thing than you going up on a Wednesday night at like the comedy cellar. Of course. Yeah, you know, because they 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 come wanting to like you, right? Um, so it's I I think it is a pretty it's a pretty fun situation, and then it sucks when you you know I uh, when you go back to just like if you do a club on someone else's show. Oh, of course. And then you still have to go into that mode of the first five minutes of, like, no, it's okay to like me here. I'm going to, I got to win you over it's a little bit. It's the hardest
0: thing. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Um, cause I don't really do that, uh, hardly at all. And that's the thing that, you know, guys here that, you know, Colin Jost or, or John Mulaney, who still, you know, go and get up and do Comedy selling during yeah, the Yeah, he's like, amazing. Yeah, that's the part that you just go, like, I don't know how you... Not even, like, <laughs> I don't know how you have the time for that. I don't know how you have, like, the constitution for that. Because <laughs> this show... I mean, we do our best to eat your soul at this show, so the fact that you have any left to bring down to the Comedy Cellar.
1: Yeah, what's the... I mean, you... I feel like you... Went you pretty quickly? Kind of jumped the you know like you what you you started the show in what a one two thousand one yeah. and then by oh six I think you were like at least co head writer.
0: Yeah, it was like uh I mean, it was a couple things. I had a couple things working in my favor. One is I was not a good cast member, so <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to find a place to put me. Um, But uh, it was not... I mean, like, when I started here, like, I kind of would have predicted in college I would have been a writer more than a performer. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was what I was studying in college. And I got here as a cast member, and I liked to write stuff for other people. Um, So it was a thing that people could notice about me. And, um, yeah, when Tina was getting ready to move on, I was really, uh, you know, I was thrilled that Lauren had seen that maybe that was a job I could take over. So, What was the first sketch that you wrote for the show that made it on? Um... Amy Poehler and I, my fourth show away, and We were just talking about this recently. Um, we did a sketch called Little Sleuths uh-huh. with uh, John Goodman where we were, like, an encyclopedia brown and his sister, and uh, but we were solving, like, a really gruesome sex crime. <laughs> and it was, it was, like, the last sketch of the night. It played really great. And it was just, like, we used to laugh about it now because we tried it, like, seven more times. It never aired. But, like, that night, that moment, like, we were talking about a Little Sleuth's merchandise. Oh, yeah, Like, in our head, we were like, the you could see the movie poster. It looked like Wayne's World. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the great... I mean, that's the thing about this show is, like, you were constantly... The, the worst part about having a great show at SNL is when you realize how little connection it has to next week. Right. You know, that, like, some cast member will go out and they'll just kill it. They'll just kill it. And then all of a sudden, it's the next week's table read and, like, their stuff just is, like... You know, it's like we're constantly like athletes who've lost a step, and you feel like it's over, and then next week you find it again. And oh, then, yeah.
1: that's that must be that must be a, a horrendously emotional set of checks and balances where you just you, co- yes. you probably come in feeling like, ah, it's me. I just did this thing. What the? Oh, what happened? Oh, I'm no good at comedy.
0: It's awful, and you know the awful part. And I recently heard Norm McDonald saying this in an interview, which I was like, oh, he's so right. Is like, it's one of the last places where you can, like, for real bomb. Like, you can really
1: bomb at SNL. <laughs> and it's okay. Yeah,
0: well, it's... I mean, it's not okay, but you are, like, you realize that, like, this is a an audience that has a certain expectation. You know, again, because this is an audience where if you come to see SNL live, like, you have incredibly high expectations of what yeah. you expect. You're like... Yeah. I hope they'll do a bees, you know? I hope I'll see the Blues Brothers. Like, you know, like, you just... You in your head, like, build the perfect show in
1: your I head. I hope no one's coming to SNL and I'm going, like, I hope they do the Blues I, Brothers. Yeah, that's true. Oh, my God, do you think Chevy's going to trip over the thing? What year do you think this is?
0: But, uh, you know, like, there's just, like... You just sometimes are, like... You know, there's no... There's no warm-up comedian between acts, you know? Say, like, let's keep it going for... And you can barely... You can
1: barely... You don't really have the opportunity to workshop your material, except for like you know at a, at a at a couple run-throughs. At a couple run-throughs. I mean, the great
0: news about dress rehearsal is, you know, dress rehearsal feels exactly like the show. We treat it like that. We do it at eight o'clock. We have a completely different audience in, and they are they are the part of the show that we could not do without. Mm-hmm. They're the the real heroes of that dress audience because um, they've saved. America for
1: some from some, real, <laughs> from some real duds. What there must be a there I'm sure you must have a pocket full of sketches where you in your head you're like, "Oh my god, this is this sketch cannot fail." And you put it up in front of the dress audience and you're like, "What happened?"
0: Well, and- we did a um I did a thing my first year with Horatio, which was another thing that I was like Franchise City, which was a uh, comic book talk show. Right. And we did it the first time we did it was with Ian McKellen and he played a guy who like I think like worked at a Panda Express or something who did <laughs> The joke was that he did a great Gandalf impression. Right. So he was, you know, of course, and that he killed. Right. And it was really fun. And we're like, oh, this is going to be a thing we'll do. And then we did it with Kirsten Dunst. And it was just like five minutes of silence. And afterwards, Horatio said that he he almost stood up halfway through and was like, we'd just like to apologize. We're going to cut this <laughs> off here. Oh, during uh, the dress rehearsal. Yeah, just like, the, you know <laughs> oh, what? We're, no. we're, obviously, we're not going to do this on television tonight. Um, thank you for your feedback. <laughs> oh. But like you do, there are those, I mean, that, I've rarely... Well, that's not true. Like, sometimes you're, like, mad at the audience. Like, again, that's just a human response. Of course. Why can such? you not see that this is funny? But there, more often than not, you're there and you're doing it and you're like, what was wrong with me <laughs> that I ever thought a group of
1: strangers would enjoy watching this? Sometimes the audience in your head is not, you can't trust it. Right. I mean, I feel, for me, I don't know, it might be different for you. I don't feel like a lot of times things that the audience in my head thinks is hilarious. Yeah just doesn't do well it's just that
0: funny thing too like how sometimes and that's where Lauren is really great at seeing things at a macro level which is um, sometimes you just like forget to leave out some connective tissue like comedy can be like really scientific that way yeah and that if it's just like oh the she that the way she said that first line was just too loud for the way this scene was gonna play and if she just like lowers her volume cuts it in half and it's like those sometimes that's the amazing thing with Lauren. He'll make the slightest of adjustment. It's not like he rolls up his sleeves and goes, we need 20 more jokes right but it's often just that.
1: Oh, I never thought of it that. That's actually that's a really interesting approach rather than like right. all right cut 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 like no 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 no, just adjust this. Yeah or like you
0: know what all that needs is a top. Right. You know, like, do a, you know, put a bumper for a network. Just do, like, if you open it with, like, you're watching the Lifetime Network. Right.
1: That will give the audience the information that you forgot they didn't have. That's right, because in your head, I mean, every everything's completely contextualized in your head because you thought of it. Right. So, of course, it makes sense to you. Yeah. And it's just le- it just just kind of taking the audience by the hand a little bit and just leading them.
0: Yeah. And sometimes, by the way, sometimes you do something. I did something on uh, We hand Update last week in Dress that uh Lauren turned to uh, Alex Bayes who's our weekend update producer and, and very kindly said burn the tapes. <laughs> what was it? I was trying to defend Giselle Bunchin. Okay. Um but I was defending her uh with a, with a pipe and a British accent. <laughs>
1: and just like immediately lost the audience. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah. And I, I feel like Weekend Update if I were, you know, if I were to look at SNL and cuz I've assumed I think every young comedian of my generation, mm-hmm. of course SNL was the crowning. Like, oh, that's, of course, well, that's I, comedy. Like, that's, that's what I want to do. But I think as I got older, I'm like, I don't know. The environment seems horrifying to me. Like, yeah. just, just, it's it's just super Darwinian, but like, but Instant. Like, this works, that doesn't work, cut that, we gotta do that, get that guy in, sorry you're not on the show this week or this week. It's true, I mean, the thing is, like,
0: I do believe that this is a, the one part of the books that I don't find to be true is, like, I don't find it backstabby as a culture at all, but with that said, like, it's also not back patty, because we just don't have time for it. Like, you know, like, no one's out to get you except for, you know, the Darwinian part of it, which is, it's not, there's no time to, like... Help anyone catch up. Yeah. No one waits for you to catch up. Um, with that said, like I think Lauren is patient with people, and I think Lauren understands that this is not a job you learn your first day here. Right. And um, very few people kind of come in and are fully formed as a comedy voice. And he tries very hard to protect people who are new. I mean, that's a thing that I think people, you know, he when you're new on the show, Lauren kind of only wants you out there killing, and he'd be perfectly happy if you had, you know, if you had one line in a show and, and nailed it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He wants people at home to go, like, they should use that person more. Right. So he wants them to say that before we actually do
1: it. I think if, of, of all the, you know, if anyone were to say, okay, you can be on SNL now, what would you be? I think it's the weekend update job. Would oh, be it's to- by far the best job. Because it's like you get to be yourself. You don't have to be characters and no. make a scene work. And,
0: you know. And, you know, the other thing is like it's apt, it's completely come. From each joke to the next. It's the like, stand uppiest of the oh, show. Of course. And, like, look, there are certain sketches where you know 30 seconds in, it's going nowhere. <laughs> oh, like, if it's based on performance, if it's based on a voice, if it's. I mean, and by the way, the ones those that work have the highest upside of anything in the show. Right. But the ones that don't, like, there's no, like, built in joke halfway through it right. that's going to save it. Whereas Weekend Update is like, you know, it's 15 jokes. If people don't go for one, it doesn't necessarily bleed into the next one. You feel the audience resetting with few as each graphic resets, and that's what's the best part about it for me.
1: Um, there are definitely people. There are definitely people in the cast, though, that you, no matter how a scene is going, but you know, like with with Fred or, or or with Kristen Wiig, it's just like you still just love them. You're like, they're so fucking committed. Yeah, almost more than any in the history of the show, I because I feel like there are certainly casts where there's a, like, oh, they're winking to the audience, like, yeah, look, we're doing this crazy, yeah. you know. But they're so invested character-wise, and I just, I look at that and I go, yeah, it's, not nah, I could never, I wouldn't no, break in a second. I couldn't do that as well. I mean, like, I've always,
0: there are times where, like, someone will pitch an idea for me, and I have to remind them that, like, I am nothing without punchlines and jokes. <laughs> like, there's no, like, there's no way I can, like, keep a piece of texture alive the way someone like Fred or Kristen do. I mean, Fred's... Uh, we did... I think we... I mean, we cut it because we had to, but there was a time where he was doing the Dalai Lama dress rehearsal as a Weekend Update guest. Yeah. And it was just bombing so hard, but he had this really funny thing where he would giggle like the Dalai Lama. Yeah. And he just kept doing it. and he, <laughs> Like, real groaners. Mm-hmm. And then he... I just remember as the Dalai Lama he did that thing, which was not on cards or anything, where he like hooked his fingers in his collar and was like, I <laughs> just watching that on the monitor, I was like, This is this is a special moment.
1: Have you have you had the moments where you want to just break and be like, Okay, you know what? Never I mean you, I guess you can do yeah. that on weekend update.
0: Well there are like um you know, every now and then we cut together dress rehearsal, like the jokes that bomb so hard that I have to like address the audience. <laughs> right. Um because it is that funny. The other funny thing about Updates is there's really nowhere to go when a joke bombs. Like, right. you're caught in this little box. You know, there's no... I mean, that's the thing about, like, in stand-up, you can save a bomb
1: joke. Mm-hmm. But, like, we can update you are just, like, trapped in a box. You know, it's... Maybe, but I think just because the the freedom that you have is that the next joke could kill.
0: Absolutely. Well, and that's why right, you just... So you have to move on to it. Like, yeah. they they want... They don't want you to spend a lot of time, like,
1: talking about why that one bombed. Yeah, I mean, I... You know, I it was just... I. I have sort of learned pretty quickly on the road, like, you know, the audience kind of wants to follow you. Like, they're, you're, they're by coming to see you perform, they're asking you to lead them in a way right. down this sort of weird of comedy journey. And so, you know, if something doesn't go over well, if you don't linger on it, they're not, they'll forget. Right. You know, like, mm-hmm. they're fine if you just sort of move on and you don't seem that right. b- bothered by it, then they're not going to be that bothered by it. But it's so hard because you so want to be like, don't think I don't know right. that that didn't go well. Well, it's weird. I mean, like, you can, of course, a
0: confidence game will only last so long. Right. You know, like, uh, the best con men, of course, have to show some sort of results. Sure. So, I mean, I think as a as a good comedian, you can have a joke bomb here or there, but obviously at the end of the day, like, more has to work yep. on merit than doesn't.
1: <laughs> How do you kind of balance the, you know, the sort of the, the head writer job, but then also but your own personal... Little space within the show. Up
0: uh, within the show, like we, I kind of don't even like flip over to update until Friday. Um, we have uh, three writers who specifically write update jokes: um, uh, Alex Bayes, Pete Schultz, and Jess Conrad. Mm-hmm. And so they're sort of working on jokes all week, and then actually this is the room at five o'clock on Friday. We'll sort of start reading through, and it's about like six hundred jokes.
1: Oh my god!
0: And then of those six hundred, I mark about a hundred. And Jesus. then um, Bays uh, and Scott Weinstein, who's one of our producers on Update, they'll kind of cut those hundred down to thirty, and they do a great job. Like whenever I come in on Saturday morning to see the thirty we're at, it's like the thirty I wanted it to be.
1: Right. But then they, then I have to choose twenty to go to go to battle with. How much do you feel like you? What's the balance between like you know just wanting to make the audience laugh, but then actually kind of. Wanting to, you know, get across some social commentary or kind of... Well, that's the fir- you know, what we would call the first act of Weekend Update, which is uh, before the first
0: guest comes out, uh, the first, like, sort of feature, um, is when we try to tell, you know, our political jokes. Mm-hmm. And again, they are, you know, they are harder than the sort of last act of Weekend Update where we're sort of talking about crazy stories that happened during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really important to us. Like, we don't feel good if all the jokes are about animals who, you know, did human things. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> the internet would be fine if that were the case, though. The internet would be fine, but again, look, like, you know, this is puppy bowl culture. It is puppy bowl culture, but the internet also is constantly reminds you how you know intelligent parts of it is as well. Like sure. people do want social commentary. Like the great jokes are the ones that um, you know do both make people laugh really hard and have a thing that sort of resonates with them.
1: Yeah, it's, I was just watching a clip of um, uh, John Stewart, and they they had all these religious figures together, and they were talking about how there's a war on Christianity in America or something, and, yeah. it, like, the, they, they tried, they almost compared it to, like, Nazi, where they basically yeah. compared it to Nazi Germany, and Johnson was like...
0: Uh, absolutely. Look, what Colbert and, and Stewart do, I think, proves that, like, people are, there's always going to be uh, people that are smart enough to sure. enjoy
1: the highest level of comedy, so... Yeah. And then what do you, it, it, is your sensibility, like, do you like to balance between... Like, you know, super smart joke, and then right afterwards, you're like, ah. We, you know, we I would say we worry less about
0: the, like, how of that. I mean, we want them all to work a lot, really well. Like, for us, like, the biggest thing is, like, I... Like, there's certain jokes I don't want to have right before I turn to the other camera to, like, introduce a guest. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, like, that's for me. Like, there's ones that, like, sometimes I want a joke that's gonna kill to be the next one Mm -hmm. like so that I can tell that have a moment where I get to just like play to that camera like I don't wanna like move
1: I don't wanna turn look away from them after killing right (laughs) but now you probably have a set you probably have this sort of ingrained sense of like how the flow works absolutely I mean I've been doing it
0: a a long time and I think we and we've been working with the same people for a long time so I think we all kind of without spending too much time talking about what we were trying to do every week know what each other wants the best piece of advice I got was actually from uh, I talked to Dennis Miller on his radio show and he gave me which I've done ever since he I would say you know uh, uh, I'm Seth Meyerson here at Tonight's Top Stories and then I would turn to my camera and they would cut on the turn and he said let them cut first and then turn he was like and he was like make the audience wait for you. Oh, Which was just such an awesome thing to say. Which you would never just... I would audit, never know. So and like getting... Again, there's so few people have done this job. This specific job. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have done things that are similar to it. Like nothing beats getting advice from a person who's done it. Who's it. done it, yeah.
1: Because there's a tiny club. Absolutely. What do you want to do? Like if you ultimately... Obviously, you probably aren't <laughs> going to stay at SNL forever. No. So what is it that you... You know, do you want to be a talk show host? Do you want to just like showrun something? I don't know. I, I, I hope that
0: um, I'll have options. My biggest fear is that whatever I do will seem boring compared to this. Because um, this job is... I mean, uh, there's good weeks and bad weeks, but it's never boring. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I haven't quite put too much thought into it. The nice thing about show business is, like, um, the best laid plans. Right. Uh, so, you know, at some degree, I just want to keep options open and see if something comes up that makes sense did you sell the the did you sell the awesomes to mtv we did years ago but now it's uh now it might be uh uh hopefully at hulu on hulu oh cool yeah
1: very cool yeah
0: uh anything else you want to promote while you're here do you have shows coming up or are you i do i have a bunch of shows uh next week but i think mostly college but i'm doing like a six show week next week when oh. is this airing uh, this is where I go up in a couple weeks. Okay, so uh, I don't think we'll miss them.
1: Well, those shows were great.
0: Thank you. You did
1: a we great job. Them. Yeah, I mean, it was weird that I flew out for all six shows, but I really wanted to make sure. they all went that great. The, I yeah. thought
0: University of Kentucky was particularly <laughs> strong.
1: <laughs> there were a lot of good local references there in yeah, yeah. Kentucky, a couple good Cracker Barrel jokes and everything. Everything worked out fine. Uh, any people, always, I'm sure they always ask you, advice, like young writers are like, what do
0: I do to get right. into the business? I mean it's hard I mean like I the thing I did that worked for me was I tried to get up on stage whenever I could Mm -hmm. I mean I think that kind of goes without saying like they have to you have to make it easier for people to find you right um because they're all too busy to look really hard yeah so you know like and the thing is like even here at SNL when we look for writers or cast members a lot of times it's someone we trust who is somewhere we weren't was like hey you have to look at X yeah um you know, uh, I think you know, Bill
1: Hader we found because Megan
0: Mullally saw him in a show. Yeah. And you know, so stuff like that. But again,
1: if he wasn't doing a show, she wouldn't have seen him. And if you can do improv for stone people in Amsterdam yeah. Then you have the confidence to get up and perform in front of the President of the United States. So that yeah, yeah. I guess if we could take away anything <laughs> from this from this hour. No, but the more literally the more the more shows you can put ankle weights on yourself oh, absolutely. The, the better.
0: I did a lot of corporate there. our theater oh. did a lot of corporate shows in Holland. Oh. And that was I will say like you can't bomb like you can bomb with like fifty six foot two guys from Eindhoven and like wire rim glasses and like
1: it's almost not bombing though because there, it's those situations are. It almost it, but it feels like bombing.
0: Like <laughs> there's no time where you tell a joke and a room full of people just stare at you dead face it. It
1: doesn't feel like bombing. I guess that's true. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure they enjoyed it internally. I don't think so no. because the
0: great thing about the Dutch is they they are classically honest. Sure. And they will. I remember guys after shows being like, uh, Mess, I did not care for it." <laughs> <laughs> oh, th- thank you yeah. for your input,
1: yeah, sir. Uh, well, thank you so much for being here, Seth Myers. It was awesome. It Thanks was, for coming Oh, here. my God, this is amazing. And uh, a special musical guest was Slave <laughs> yeah, yeah, Thank you for Slave <laughs> It's been a great week. Thank you to the cast and oh writers. God. Lauren, this was great. We've never met, but God, thank you so much for having me in the green room and uh, everyone else. It was that really was fantastic. Uh, cool. Thanks, man. Thank you, buddy. Good to see you.
2: Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your Burrito.
1: This episode of the Nerdist Podcast was brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone, and type in Nerdist to receive a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and free postage, but only if you enter the promo code NERDIST at Stamps.com. I feel like I was blindsided. Because it's a competition show. From the producers of Jury Duty and The Bachelor. We have scoured the earth for the 14 greatest reality contestants that were available during our production window.